All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. And we have a super exciting human on the show today, Polina, who founded The Profile, a new media company featuring long-form profiles of successful people and companies weekly. I mean, she's got props coming in from Dwayne Johnson or The Rock and many others. I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, Previously, she spent five years at Fortune Magazine, at Fortune, sorry, where she wrote more than 1,300 articles and earned the trust of prominent investors and entrepreneurs. She was the author and editor of the term sheet, Fortune Industry Leading Deal-Making Newsletter. She can now include published author to this list of well-deserved accolades with her debut book, Hidden Genius, The Secret Ways of Thinking That Power the World's Most Successful People, which my version is highlighted to the max with notes all over the place, questions circled. It's just a beautiful book. So congratulations first and welcome. Thank you so much, Mark. I'm very excited to be here. This is a great podcast. We're going to have a fun time. There's so <laughs> many, there's so many things, so many strings I can pull to, to start this off. But before we get into any of the work, I mean, the, the starting question that everyone gets to avoid all the job titles and all the things that you're cooking up and working on, which we covered in the, in the intro, I just want to know who, like, who are you today as we sit here today? Oh, I love this question because <laughs> I always struggle when somebody asks me to, I always used to struggle with the question of like, what do you do? It's like, I do yeah. so many things. <laughs> but I think the one thread that's been present my whole life, it's just this notion of curiosity. Ever since I could talk, I was always asking questions and like, why this? And And what about this person? I was always interested in observing humans, (laughs) very similar to you. Um, But I would say like right now, today, I hold a multitude of identities, one of which being a mother, an author, an entrepreneur, a writer. Like there's so many that I don't fit neatly in any one box. And I think that's very frustrating for a lot of people. Uh, But to me, it's like that's the way I see myself. So if you ask me just like two words, I would say curious human. Oh, see, this is why I knew we would get along really well. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Do you, you, was there a moment at all when you were younger that you felt like people were trying to kind of stifle your curiosity? Because most people lose that childlike curiosity. I mean, we both have young uh, uh, children and I mean, even your daughter, I mean, just like you, she won't, she wouldn't crawl, wouldn't grab, like you have to be curious to evolve essentially. But at some point, you know, we, we start to lose that or it starts to be taken from us in a way. Yes. Okay. So this is a good question because I've never talked about this before, but I recently had this memory and I was like, wow, what a crappy way to like treat kids. But so when we moved from Bulgaria to the U S I started elementary school in Atlanta, Georgia, and I didn't know English. So (laughs) didn't know English, but in elementary school, I was in Spanish class because that was required for everybody. So (laughs) I'm like here, like barely knowing English, but studying also Spanish. And I was uh, the only kid in my class at that point. Later, others joined, but the only kid that spoke Bulgarian. So (laughs) it was very hard because I couldn't be like, hey, how do you say this in English? So then I had just started learning some English. So I was trying to practice 
And whatever few words that I knew, I would try to ask questions or whatever. And <laughs> I still remember her name, but I will not say it. Okay. Uh, the Spanish teacher at the school, I was in fourth grade and it was Spanish class. And I asked the the kid that was sitting next to me, I asked him a question in English. And I remember being so proud of myself that I asked. Um, and then she was like, this is Spanish class. You cannot be speaking English. I was like, literally, I barely can speak this language. So <laughs> my punishment was this thing called silent lunch. I don't know if you ha oh, yeah. had this. Or Do I've you remember this? So yeah. it was like, it was in the cafeteria and there were these um, tables lined up against a wall and you would stare at the wall and eat lunch by yourself silently. And I was just like, <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> so yeah, yeah that like, was well, one That was one time where I feel like it could have gone a different direction, but luckily that wasn't enough to make me stop talking. <laughs> yes. Ex well, lucky for all of us, actually. I mean, I love that. It's... It's wild. There's some crazy moments in our childhood that either we we forget or, you know, yeah, unconsciously yeah. kind of just block in a way. And, and it's it's remarkable that we, you know, can get to where we're at. Um, as long as we can, you know, again, continue to be curious and, and ideally work on that self-development and whatnot and, and just acknowledge some of those moments, right? And uh -huh. I guess do our best as as parents and and adults as well to not, you know, replicate those cycles essentially. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so how did, how did you, it seems like you've always been involved in, in media in some capacity. And you studied um, journalism. I, believe, mm -hmm. I, I think there was, a, I was reading, I think it was in the acknowledgments of your book, I was reading something, there was an acting stent at one point. Uh, <laughs> that you, that's all you kind of say in, in the book. So feel free to fill in any flavor, or any color there. But... <laughs> Uh, for the most part, it seems like you've been really interested in journalism and, you know, sharing what you're, you're uncovering and, and so forth. Like what, what has driven that? Yeah. Okay. So this is how I know you're really, really like extraordinarily good at your job because most people don't read the acknowledgement section. But to me, that's where like all the oh, little yeah. secrets lie. <laughs> Oh my God, every so, single book I read, I go directly to the acknowledgement. So I'm like, let me see. Because <laughs> it totally. really says a lot about the author and how they think of the people who played a big role in their life. Um, so I was, it's so funny that you asked me about the acting phase because I was recently talking to my mom about this. I was like, uh, my parents were really young parents. Uh, my mom was 19 and my dad was 24 and they were still getting like their master's degrees in Bulgaria when I was born. Um, so I was like, you guys were really young parents, but I think the one thing you did maybe subconsciously, I'm not sure, but it was that they never said no to me when I wanted to try something new. Um, mm -hmm. even though they knew I probably wasn't or wouldn't be the best at it. So okay. I had, <laughs> I, you know, I had a few moments in my life where you know, I wanted to play soccer. They were like, you're not the most athletic, but you should try it. Did, that didn't really work out for me. Then I really wanted to like be an actress, even though I was so painfully shy, Mark. Like if you had met me in high school or middle school, you'd be like, whoa, I have like who I am today is totally different from how I used to be. I was just really introverted. Um, I would hate like the first day of class where you had to go, even the, the teacher calling your name for attendance, I'd be like, please, no, I don't want to say yes, present yeah. or whatever. It was just, I, I any sort of public speaking really upset me, but I was like, I want to be an actress. 
So um, my high school had a, a drama program. I was already accepted into the science program, which is where I should have stayed. But I was like, no, no, I'm going to do both. I'm going to do science and I'm going to do the performing arts. So there was this audition. You had to go in, um, uh, do a monologue and sing a song. I walked in, completely forgot my monologue. So I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And they're like, okay, well, can you just sing something? And I was like, I really can't sing. Uh, <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was so miserable and embarrassing. But like, my mom was still like, oh, well, that's great. You know, now you know. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Um, but if they hadn't done that, like I wouldn't, because I tried a lot of different things and a lot of them didn't work. A tennis was another one. But then I tried the newspaper in high school and that worked like that really just opened up my appetite for research, interviewing yeah. people and writing. And it's like those three things is what I love. And I would have never known if I hadn't just tried. W was there a feeling when you knew like, OK, this is it? Like, What was it for you? I So it, it goes, uh, it's because I was so shy the first time uh, I think the first, my first article for the student paper in high school was this like Greek festival that the Greek church puts on every year. And I had just, just to write about it. <laughs> but it was so okay. cool because I was like, I'm talking to adults, like I'm interviewing people. And because it was this like alter ego version of myself, it gave me license to be outgoing. And I think over time, I kind of internalized that. But at the time, I was like, this is amazing. I can talk to any stranger because I have yeah. a job to do. And it felt, I mean, amazing. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to put a pin on that because there's a beautiful, can't remember which chapter it is, but there is there is a section. I remember you mentioning a few different people where I think it was Beyonce and mm -hmm. Catch Me If You Can. And who was the other one? There was a third one. David um, Goggins. Yeah, Goggins, of course. Um where you can just, you know, leverage, you know, and step into this, this kind of like alter ego or this other personality, um, which I, I haven't done it in the way that you describe, but I've, I've done this in a way, if like I'm about to present or do something that's, that's puts me in a fear state or uncomfortable. And, and I learned this from Maya Angelou is just like, think about bringing the people that love you and surround you and, and, up on the stage with you or like so yeah. you almost you come in with the support in a way or even in journaling like well what would marcus aurelius do in this situation or you know robin williams like what like just that subtle shift of like kind of stepping outside of the 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 you i guess in a way can provide so much yeah. benefit super absolutely exciting. that's that's yeah. a really good way to put it so how okay so then you you Got into the world of uh, journalism. You were rocking it. Seems like you were enjoying it. The profile started kind of as like a little side hustle situation for a little while until uh, what was it? it was Anna Quin Quinlan? Am I saying that properly? Mm -hmm. the yes. Okay. Where there was a quote, or you can share some of the the uh, paraphrase that that quote or the idea behind it. But that it seems like that was the thing that was like okay. I'm going for this. And kind of the rest is history at this point. Ah, uh, yes. She has this 1999 commencement speech in which she talks about success and also identity and also just everything in one. It's it's probably my favorite thing that I've ever heard or read. Um, but she basically, 
I, I still remember I was like on the subway going home and I had been thinking about the profile. Could it ever be full time? How would I make it full time and all this stuff? And I read it and it was like, you know, she was like every step of my career path. Somebody told me I was crazy for doing something. You know, when I said I would quit my job uh, as a reporter to write a book, people said I was crazy. When I said I would quit this to become a full time mother, people said I was crazy. And she was like, but I am not crazy. I am happy on my own terms and I am successful mm. on my own terms. And I think the next thing she says is something like, uh, because if your success is not on your own terms, if it looks good to the world, but doesn't feel good in your heart, then it is not success at all. Um, and that struck me like, oh my God, how do I define success? And it, up until that point, I had defined success as your job title, how much money you make, where you live, like, are you in New York City? Or are you in Idaho? Like, I don't know why I thought that was like a marker for success. Um, but all these like stupid things that are external that you could lose in a day, or as Oprah says, in the blink of a board meeting, um, yeah. if you rely on a title to give you confidence to feel successful, then it, it, it's not true success. And I think she then um, quotes Lily Tomlin, like, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. So it's like, what's the <laughs> yeah. point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then just to set the context, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I should back up as well to uh, the profile. What is the profile really quickly for people that don't know? And I guess at that stage, when you, when, when that, that light bulb kind of went out and at least sparked your curiosity of, okay, maybe I'm going to make a big change here. Um, like, where was the profile at from? Like, did it feel like, okay, there was enough people reading? Was it like, what were the feelings at that, at that point? Yeah. So just to set the stage at this time, this was when I started the profile, which is my weekly newsletter in which I study successful people. That was February of 2017 when I started it but I had been working at Fortune Magazine for three years as a tech reporter. So, okay. you know, like kind of related, but not really. And I just finished writing a deep dive and studying Oprah's life. And she says something that's like, throughout your life, you're constantly getting these like whispers. Uh, I think she's yeah. call, she calls it like soul, your soul's whispers or something like that. And that is like, you see something, you're like, ooh, I kind of like that. Or you see somebody's career path and you're like, whoa, I'm really jealous of that. Like, I wish I could be doing that. That's kind of life telling you, like, you should go into that direction because that's what fulfills you um, and like follow your envy a little bit. So up until, you know, I just really quickly about my background, I graduated from the University of Georgia in 2013 I went to work um, or for a year. I freelanced for CNN and USA Today. Then I moved to New York uh, in March of 2014, worked at a startup for six months. And then I joined Fortune in October of 2014. Okay. And so I was there, you know, until 2020. But in 2017 is when I started the profile. And the profile, honestly, at the time, it was just, I really, really like profiles um, Patty Sellers, who is largely known as the queen of profiles. She's profiled Oprah, every C Fortune 500 CEO imaginable. She worked at Fortune. So I knew about her before I joined. And then when I got to meet her, I was like, oh my God, this, I mean, I'm like meeting my idol, right? Because yeah. she is doing what I want to do. So my 
basically my ultimate ambition when I was at Fortune was like, I want to one day just write long form profiles for the magazine. Like that was my goal. And I started doing that. That that was the irony of everything. I did start doing that near the end of my time at Fortune, but I realized like I have the profile, which at this point I'm just curating seven to eight long form profiles and sending it out as a newsletter. And I was doing that for three years, uh, every single Sunday for free. And then in 2020, when I read this quote by Anna Quinlan, um, this was January of 2020, and I was toying with the idea of like, yes, I could stay at Fortune and maybe develop this and, and write for the magazine, but like, what if I did it for myself? And I got this idea because I'm, as a tech reporter, I had been surrounded by really passionate entrepreneurs. Every single day I was talking to founders, to venture investors, like all these people who took an idea from their brain and made it a reality. So I was like, it's kind of hypocritical for me to sit here and like analyze their companies and critique their whatever when I myself have never built it. So I was Hmm. like, God, what if I, what if I leave Fortune, (laughs) focus on the profile full time and start writing original profiles? Um, You know, what is the definition of a profile? Could I do it in a different way? all this stuff. And I had so many questions in my head and it seemed like everything that I was listening to or watching kind of confirmed that thesis of like, I really do believe there's going to be an explosion in newsletters. And I think that like people trust people, not these faceless institutions. And I want to be there. Like I want to be at the forefront of that. And so when I left Fortune, it was very much like the profile only at the time had 10,000 subscribers. And um, only a very, very small percentage of those subscribers were paying members. Um, So I kind of took a risk, but it was a calculated risk. I did the math of how many paying members do I need to match my salary at Fortune to like be able to pay my rent. And if I can do that, I I think like I had money saved, obviously, but I think I can do this in six months. It ended up being much faster than that. But it happened because I did the math. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at behindthehuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's behindthehuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. Yeah, like you mentally prepared. Um, at <laughs> least it felt like there was a plan in place and obviously it, it seemed to have, have worked and quite, you know, quite faster than than forecasted, which is great. Uh, which is not always the case, of course. Usually it's the reverse when, you, when you're starting something. Um, but it, goes, it just goes to show the quality of, of, of the profile and the work that you're putting out there. I am curious, like in those times when you had all the questions and whatnot, like what were you doing... Because, you know, everyone, I think everyone has access to those whispers. Just often our minds are so cluttered and full and, and our lives are so busy that we miss them. 
And mm. then the next part of it is sometimes we do see them and like, okay, there it is, but then we don't do anything. So for you, like, how do you think? Like, especially now, you know, young, young daughter, obviously, like there's no, it's not, there's not a ton of downtime, let's just say, or I'm, I'm just projecting <laughs> here, but <laughs> I, I was, no, I'm making the assumption. Eight, no yeah. <laughs> so for you, like, how do you just clear out your mind to be able to make these kind of decisions and feel confident doing so? It's, I think a lot of it is looking at things through a different lens or a different prism than like you're, you're used to looking at the world. So, for example, in the book, um, the first chapter is about creativity. And I talk about this uh, chef called, his name is Grant Ackett, and he created a restaurant called Alinea. And he basically sees the entire world through the lens of food. And he's like, how can leaves, me watching these leaves falling to the ground or listening to the song, how can that inspire me to create an element of something interesting in the food or dining experience? So he may see, you know, something out into the world or like a large scale um, painting in a museum and be like, whoa, I have an idea. I could take that painting, but make it on a tablecloth, you know, and people can yeah. eat off of it. Like, whoa. So for me, it was kind of the same thing. I started carrying around a tiny notebook okay. and I would jot down little things that um, came, like that, that, that were interesting to me that I think could be a small, tiny breadcrumb of an idea that could lead to something I write in the profile or how I do business or something like that. One of those things, just a really quick example, is I interviewed Brandon Stanton from Humans of New York. Yeah. And um, I, was, I was like thinking basically, Grant Ackett's, um, he's a chef, but he has revolutionized the very act of dining in terms of we always assume if I ask you, hey, Mark, how do you eat? How does any human eat? You'd be like, well, usually you have a fork or a spoon or a knife mm -hmm. or whatever. And you do this motion. For those who can't see me, I'm just like bringing food to my mouth. But he was like, well, what if, you know, we disrupt that? <laughs> yeah. And now I'm going to create like a, he a balloon made out of sugar in this substance and put helium in it. And it's delivered to you. And you can actually eat with your hands. And it's like floating in the air. And so totally different. So I was like, my God, like that's such a disruptive way of thinking. And I realized how not, how not original of a thinker I am. Like that made me realize okay. it because I had always thought like a profile was a three page, 4,000 word feature in a magazine, but mm -hmm. like te text-based. Maybe if you put it on the internet, there's like a video and some pictures. But why did I assume that that's what a profile was? And then when I started thinking about Humans of New York, I was like, oh my God, look at that. Like, He's publishing a six-part series on Facebook <laughs> yeah. with one photo. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a totally different way, but that's certainly a profile of a person. So it, it got me thinking, like, what is a profile? How can I kind of uh, disrupt my own thinking and ideas of what that is? And are there new ways um, to present information to people that they may not be used to? I love it. I love it. So it's yeah, it just seems like you're it seems like you're hyper self-aware or present in a way to 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 see these little breadcrumbs and like then then be able to connect the dots and like, oh okay, yes. well here and pulling these different 
you know, moments or situations of inspiration to support what you're trying to do. Which is, I, I did want to ask you about this and, and a little bit selfishly, but I feel like this will be <laughs> uh, important for others as well because you can, you can use this in, in any, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but from someone that also studies people and, and having written a book profiling different individuals in a different way, I'm curious to understand like what your flow is. Like if you, Oprah, for example, that's the one that just came out in the mm-hmm. uh, it was this week's newsletter. Like, how do you, how do you pick the person? But then this is what I always struggled. I don't want to say struggled with, but it's hard to explain. When do you stop doing the research? Because some of these people, you could do it forever. And Mm -hmm. especially the ones like, I'll never forget writing on Picasso. I'm like, I had the room. I'm like, I'm not writing a biography on Picasso. Like people have done that before. Like I have a very specific angle to this, but you could go forever reading books and watching videos. So for, for you, like, how do you know you've hit that moment of, okay, this is, this is good. Like, what does that look like to you? Yeah. Okay. So I was actually, um, I was really avoiding doing an Oprah dossier for that exact reason. I like doing ones on people maybe that you haven't really heard of. There's limited information about them. So like I can really consume everything. With her, I knew (laughs) that it would be impossible for me to read everything, uh, watch everything, or listen to everything. But I made a list. So the the way that I think is I'll make a list of like, okay, here's, you know, profiles of Oprah, like the big ones, uh, which you'll find there's actually not that many, if any, really, really um, well-reported profiles on Oprah. I think the last one was done in Fortune by Patty Sellers that I mentioned. Um, (laughs) It's just so crazy. Uh, Like 10, 12 years ago. I mean, it's not like she, she, that's the thing. Okay. So, so I, I started making a list of these things and then I like to look for the inconsistencies. So, Mm. and ask like, why? So with Oprah, the irony of Oprah is that she's done that. I think it was like 34,000 interviews or something like that. But it's very, very rare for her to be sitting and and being interviewed herself, somebody else interviewing her. And it's just so crazy. Like I, I found a few, but they, I mean, one was in the 90s, you know, and then one was at Stanford. But like, other than that, there's really not a really good sit down interview with Oprah. Um, so that's interesting. I, the, what I kind of took from that is either, you know, it, it, her, her power is in her asking the questions. And it's also like a, a little bit of a controlled image that she wants to portray. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then the other thing is that she's a billionaire. <laughs> Yeah. But most of the things that you will read online or the interviews done with her, the questions are not about her business. The questions are about like, how do you manifest the life that you want or things that she talks about, but th- th- it's, not, it's not about her business and how did you build your empire? So that was really tough to find. Um, I, find I found a little like tiny, tiny things here and there, but it's just like, why doesn't that exist? Mm-hmm. Um, so my goal is one day to interview Oprah, if you couldn't tell from yes. this. But uh, 
But, Oprah, um, if you're listening right now, please reach exactly. out. Please reach out. You <laughs> we'll can have find me. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's the so so I look for the inconsistencies. But the other thing I look for is when I hear them saying the same thing more than like two or three times um, with mm, her. Okay. I noticed very much that she is like um, she's relatable because she was a genuinely a regular human before all of this success happened. And she talks about like, you know, I'm not embarrassed of anything anymore on stage. Like, is my bra strap showing? So what? Like that's happened to me before. I'm not embarrassed. But in the beginning, she used to be very, very self-conscious because she was trying to be Barbara Walters. And it's like, you know, there's this element of like, she's said that multiple times. So I made a note of that. Barbara Walters, like she talks a lot about this. Another thing that she talked about is how in the beginning of her career, uh, when she was a reporter on like a TV news reporter, she would mispronounce words like instead of Canada, she would say Canada. And then she'd be like, wait a second, I just said Canada. And like kind of make light of this moment that most serious like TV news reporters would just keep going. But then I noticed that she she said this, she told the same story, but it was a different word in another interview. And I was like, okay, so what she's trying to do is, yes, I'm sure that happened. Maybe she couldn't remember the exact word she said, but it's the message. It's like underneath her words, she's very, very um, aware of how she wants her viewer to feel after they hear mm. her words. Okay. So your... I mean, if I think about some of the chapters in your book, which one was this? Uh, your content diet, which I I often refer to as like your mental nutrition. Yes, you're you're bringing in obviously quality sources of of content and looking for, like you said, looking for the inconsistencies, also looking for the mo- like some of the repetition and so forth, and then at one point, I'm imagining you're kind of like zooming out and stepping back, and then you're doing your thing right? Mm-hmm. Which is the profile obviously has the kind of the intro, then you have the links and so forth. But the, the, the book, you're going even, even further, which, you know, that's kind of next where I want to venture in. Like that's, that's a creative process in itself. So how, how does that, how does that look like in your flow? Yeah, I, um, so my daughter was three months old when I started writing. So she wasn't sleeping and neither was I <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> But um, but I would write at night, like around 7 p.m. I'd be like, all right, I have two hours uninterrupted before she wakes up again. Um, yeah. But I I wrote recently about like my the book writing process. And it was interesting because I feel like I did 90% of my writing away from the computer. Like I did it in my head. And I don't know if your brain works like this, but for example, studying so many people, I don't necessarily think of them as individual people I kind of um like I kind of look for their essence and then I'm like oh man this person really reminds me of this person and it's just like there's this uh relationship there in my head and then when I'm writing the actual act of writing it feels like I have all these different puzzle pieces and it's like how do they blend together well but also who does this person remind me of and then what lessons can they both uh teach me that maybe you're the same or whatever. 
and then I extract it, make it super practical. Um, one of my friends texted me after reading the book and she was like, how you connected all these people? Like it makes my brain, it, it broke my brain. <laughs> I was like, no, I yeah. know because you know, maybe you don't put a surfer with an investor with whatever, but like, there's so many similarities. Um, and if you can tap into the exact frameworks and how people think you can find like the pattern. Uh, but yeah, to me, I don't write top to bottom. I don't write in order. I, I'll like start okay. in the middle and then go to the end and then go back to the beginning. So, I mean, that's, so I had that same question because I, as I, <clears throat> excuse me, going through it, I'm like, man, there's a lot of connectors here and points and just having gone through a similar process. I'm like, this is, this is a lot. And I know now it's even crazier to hear how you're doing it because I'm sure, you know, I mean, uh, Ryan Holiday, Robert Green, I think has a similar thing. Like they have very, they have their little cue card boxes where they're collecting quotes and thoughts and then like, okay, I'm going to write a book on discipline and I'm going to pull all the boxes and look at everything and start. But you're, you're, you're doing that in your head. It's crazy. Like yeah, when, that, that's... How does that happen though? Like, what are you doing? There's got to be some moments of stillness there where like, okay, so I'm going to pull this, this person with, and then eventually you sit down and, and like type that out. Yes. Okay. So this is, I think this is the most important part of writing that most people don't talk about. It's like, let your ideas marinate in your head. You can't just sit down and knock out a chapter. Like, at least I, I don't work that way. The yeah. way that it happened was like at 7 p.m., I would sit down and start writing. And I would have like some random ideas on a Google Doc. And then my daughter would wake up. I would go in. I would feed her for like 30 minutes. And in that 30 minutes, I, it, it's dark. It's quiet. The sound machine yeah. is on. And I'm thinking like, all right, hold on. So if that, it, it's just like... <laughs> It literally yeah. feels like I visualize it as jigsaw puzzle pieces. And I'm like, this mental toughness thing, and they personify pain. And then, you know, for example, in the the mental toughness chapter, I have David Goggins and how he personifies pain. And he's an athlete. Um, and he talks about going into this like dark room where metamorphosis, metamorphosis, I can't say that word, metamorphosis happens. And basically, if you don't break, you'll transform after you come out the other yeah. side. And I'm like, okay, but that's voluntary. Like, is there somebody that I've studied that has been shoved in there like involuntarily, involuntarily, like against their will? And it's Anthony Ray Hinton, who was on death row for 30 years for a crime he didn't commit. And I was just like, oh, this, this, this is like, it's a similar mindset, but it's two very different approaches. Yeah. I love it. I was going to ask, I mean, I, the question I wanted to ask was like, how did your daughter influence this book? And I mean, this is a bit of the answer, I think. I mean, yes. <laughs> probably some of your most, you know, genius and creative moments and connection points, you know, happening. Well, you know, she was feeding essentially, exactly. which doesn't, in hearing it now, makes total sense because it's it's just like, the, the classic stories of like ideas coming up in the shower or when you're on out for a run, it's our minds are, are we're allowing our minds to breathe. Yes. And you're and like, and in a way you're almost in this like meditative state in, in the room, given like the sound machine, it's dark and so forth. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It's so wild. I love, I just love how you wrote this book and like the, I think the language you used was like the, like kind of the edge, edge cases of, or what was the, what were the words? Like the, the it's like the edges of well, time. Edges of time. It's just, yeah. I love that because it just shows, I think it just opens up more possibility because you think, you know, like, oh yeah, you have to have this like 
perfect writing space and you have to do this like perfect setup or I'm going to have this awesome morning routine. I'm going to crank out, you know, three hours of writing. Like, it's just not like that. Uh I mean, not that it can't be like that. I mean, there's, there's definitely, I'm sure people that are doing it, but for the vast majority, just don't live in a setup like that. And you're showing it's possible. And I love that. No, exactly. And it's like, it's so rare to have the perfect environment because, I mean, it requires so much work. And then when you're in the perfect environment, you've created this thing with the goal of, I'm just going to sit down and write. But actually, I think the secret of a lot of these great writers is that they they write, then they take a break from that writing. Aaron Sorkin does this. I think he takes like eight showers a day or something when he's in his most creative because that's where he's making the connections. It's crazy. Um, But but it's just like those, what you don't see is that your subconscious mind is just like making the connections without you realizing it. And then you're like, oh, I had an idea. And that's what that, oh, I had an idea is because of. Yeah. So what, you know, the book is just out. It's about to be out, let's just say, a few days from now. How do you want people to feel after or during or when they pick this up? I want them to end the book, and I end the book with 10 questions, but I want them to finish the book and be like, whoa, what, basically, what do I believe that maybe is outdated or I could Mm. have a different belief about, and how do I define success? And if you kind of think about those two questions, it's like, oh, am I on the the right path for me or am I doing it because it looks good to everybody else? And not only do I want them to kind of feel like, it's it's more of like a nudge. Like if you've read the whole book and you're like, there's absolutely nothing I can do with this information, that's shocking. Maybe you are on the right path. I would say. (laughs) (laughs) But but I think there's always like room for growth. And so if you read it and you are inspired to become a better version of yourself, uh, then I've done my job. Yeah, of course. Well, I want to ask, I mean, the, the book is full of questions. And I have to say, I mean... I started thinking about a second book concept and then it, this, it's actually turned into uh, a film series concept, which is a whole other project that has been fascinating. But in finishing your book and, and along the way, I mean, not that you're looking for my approval, but I just have the, the, this, this motivation, like you've sparked this motivation. I'm like, I, I need to write another book. Like okay, it just, it just, oh, it was just, and, and I can't wait. We'll see whether that's with this film project or not, but it was just, yeah, there, it was just, that's it's awesome. just so beautifully put together and written and so many moments of reflection and inspiration and uh, just perspective, like moments to shift perspective, which are beautiful. Yeah. So, I mean, I highly recommend everyone uh, pick it up, take a look. Like it's, a, I, your, your brain has to be completely turned off if, if you're not, if you don't get something <laughs> out of reading, you know, something in, the, in this book. Uh, but what I'd love to know from, from you, like what surprised you about going through writing it? Like just even through the process or what, because it's very, you know, it's similar to what you're doing, but also probably very different. Yes. Um, so weirdly, like I really enjoyed the process. Um, I think because I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself to actually finish it. Like 
the, the reason I didn't tell anybody that I was writing a book be- is because I didn't know if I would finish it. Uh, but then once I actually got into it, I was like, oh man, this is like, I, I can do this forever. And I think basically I had so much information in my brain about all these different people that it felt soothing to my brain to distill it into different themes so that I myself, like, I think that the thing that most surprised me is how much I personally learned from mm-hmm. writing this book. Um, so somebody, you know, asked me like, oh, well, would you still do it if nobody read it? And I was like, I 100% would because I learned. And it's like this selfish idea that you are, the, the first person you are writing for is yourself. And yeah. if you can grow and if you can learn and you can take things away, then other people probably will too. Um, I, I read this quote by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's behind Hamilton. And he said, he said, I love the quiet that it takes to pursue an idea like Hamilton, but I could never write a book because there's no applause at the end. And I was like, wow, that's Whoa. completely different than what, how yeah. I approached it. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm sure you're very similar, but like I thrive in that quiet I loved that. And before we started recording this podcast, I told you like I'm kind of nervous about the book being out there because suddenly, suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, there's going to be people reading it. Up until now, it's like this, it's, it's been yeah. just quiet. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's like this beautiful process of, I totally resonate with what you're saying. It's like, because writing a book forces you to organize your mind in a way mm-hmm. and everything that you're learning, it's like, it's all there. But now it's to your point, like, and now it's showing up in, in like organized and well thought out chapters, essentially. Right. And it's exactly. just like you can articulate stuff so like quickly. Yes. Um, which is, the clarity which is beautiful. that it brings. The clarity yeah. is unbelievable. What are some, just, just, I want to respect your time. So I'll start wrapping up. But what are some of the, whether they're in the book or not, but some of the reflective questions that have been the most impactful for you? either in big life or career decisions or even just like questions that you think about on a frequent basis that are that are helpful? There are three. <laughs> um, and I, I ask myself these all the time, especially before I'm about to make a big decision. Because I'm somebody who struggles with indecision and especially when there's uncertainty, I'm like, oh man, this could go so many different ways. So the first one is a question that I heard from um, Jim Cook, who's the founder of Samuel Adams Beer. And um, when he was thinking about starting a brewery, he was working at BCG, Boston Consulting Group, making $250,000 a year. So he was like, this is a great job. It's safe. It's cushy. It's comfortable. Like I could be here forever. And he thought mm-hmm. he would until he found an old like beer recipe in his great, great, from his great, great grandfather in the attic. And he was like, whoa, what if I just like make this and start a little brewery? He knew nothing about beer, but it was just like a tiny idea he was thinking about. And then when it came time, because obviously he had to choose, do I leave to start this thing or do I stay here? I have a, you know, a family and a house. 250K is, is good money. Yeah. Um, so he asked himself before he made the decision, like, is this scary or is this dangerous? And that perspective is so valuable because basically what he says is like, if it's scary, like, you know, you're scared to go tell your boss that you're quitting. You're scared that your old professor will be disappointed in your decision. Uh, You're scared of all these things, but they're temporary. They're like very Mm -hmm. short term. So if it's, you know, you, you have to do it. 
But, and then if it's dangerous and you don't leave, like that's really, that's the actual part you should be scared about. Because if it's a dangerous decision, um, is like the way he thought about it is if I stay at BCG for another 25 years, whatever. Um, and then I look back on my life when I'm 85 and I'm like, will I say, thank God I stayed at BCG or will I say, wow, like I really am yeah. glad I started this or, you know, I would have. So basically it's like, it's like future regret. Will you mm -hmm. regret doing this at the end of your life? Um, that's been really helpful. The second one is from Matt Mullenweg, who um, is the creator behind WordPress. Mm -hmm. And he said, he heard this from a mentor. Um, and then I think also Jeff Bezos has said it at some point. So the people on the internet, they will find it. They will correct me. But yes, um, it's some version of, is the decision I'm about to make reversible or irreversible? And what Matt said is make reversible decisions quickly and then make irreversible ones deliberately because yeah. you can learn so much, you know, in that process. But if it's an irreversible decision, actually, my husband said this about, um, about our daughter. He was like, she can do anything she wants as long as it's reversible. And I was like, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm like, talking about. Like, did you read this section here in the book? <laughs> exactly. Did you, were you inspired? Um, but like, you know, like having a child is an irreversible decision. You will for the rest of your life be a parent. Yeah. So it's like, you know, those decisions should be made slowly and deliberately. But if it's whether, you know, and again, this might be a different level of impact just to some people, but for in my case, do I leave fortune and work and try the profile? Mm -hmm. Even if it fails miserably, I can always reverse course and go find a job somewhere, right? Totally. Like it's not permanent. Totally. So, yeah. so I think it's a, it's a good uh, lens to look at it from. And then the final question I always ask myself is like, is what I'm doing or about to do optimizing for optionality? Basically, what oh. you want is you want to do something that gives you options. You don't want to lock yourself into something that's just like, this is it or nothing else. So at every point in your life, like before you go to college, before you get a job, whatever, you're like, is there room for growth? And does it give me optionality in the future? That's a powerful question. All three of them were really, really great. I particularly, though, really, really love that last one because it's... Mm -hmm. If you think about it, it doesn't matter what it is in, in life, personally or professionally, if you can set yourself up with options, first of all, it exactly. feels nice because then you know you <laughs> yes. have weight, you know, you have different options, obviously, but it's just a smart way, I think, to operate. Absolutely. Oh, this is amazing. I mean, I can obviously, you know, go for another two hours with you. There's so many. We could literally unpack every every chapter of the book. There's so much in there. Um, but I'll leave that for listeners to to do. I mean, obviously they know what you're all about and and probably have a really good idea or flavor of what they can expect um, from this book. I've learned a lot. Uh, I'm Thank just grateful our, our paths have, have crossed and, and hope they continue to cross. And want to thank you for showing up as you and putting this work out every day and, you know, hanging on to your curiosity and, and you know, the ripple effect of that has mm -hmm. helped so many people. So thank you for that. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for the wonderful questions. I don't think anybody's asked me these questions before. So it was a really great conversation. Oh, good. Until next time. <laughs>